Awakening series uh, today, and this series we've been doing it. This is that uh, the sixth week that that we've done it, I, I believe. Um, and it, for me, this has been uh, almost a huge awakening for me myself. As I've been studying what we've been talking about, I feel that uh, my 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 uh, my relationship with God is like awakening to a point where I'm just seeing a lot of needs. This past week on Thursday night, there was a group of us. We we met here at the at the movie theater um, and we prayed at the uh, out in the parking lot, and then we went into the community just off in Constant Friendship, which is back there, and Monmouth Meadows, and we just started walking around and praying for this community around us. Uh, not that people would come to our church. It's just that God would just open their eyes and that God would just meet these people where they're at. And as we started walking around, we were praying and then we gathered together at the end and we started saying, what, what did you feel? I mean, what, what did you see as we were walking around this community? And everybody, I think, just, just couldn't believe that the needs that they were feeling and they're seeing. I think God was just opening our eyes up that these people need God. These people need God. And this whole series that we've been talking about uh, uh, is all about us as individuals. We need God. You know, we, 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 we can, I think, so often go through life without God. We can even be good Christians, good churchgoers, and we don't even need God. Because we can do the church thing. We can do, make ourselves feel good by volunteering and giving and, and, and loving on people. But the reality is, we need God. And without God, then everything is pointless. Everything is useless. You know, uh, the government think that Generation Church is what we call a non-profit. A 503C non-profit. But the reality is, we are not a non-profit. And we're not making profits, so I tell you that. But we're not a non-profit. The reality is, is we are what we call a body of believers who come together. Everybody has their part. And we are like a living organi- organism that, 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 that functions. And unless we have the breath of God within us, then we're not really a church. We're just a non-profit organization. So the reality is, is we need God. And so over the last few weeks, we've just been discussing that. And you know what I find in modern times, especially in the Western world, especially in the United States of America, I think we have lost the art of seeking. We've lost the art of seeking. I think we're very good in churches, in society, you know, everybody, we're very good at volunteering. We have lots of volunteers, and people like to volunteer. We're good at serving. We're good at giving. And we're very good at doing church. But the art of seeking, and what I mean by seeking, we'll discuss in a minute. But the art of seeking seems to be disappearing in this modern era. You know, when I work, think of the word seek, I think of a game we used to play when we were kids. We called it hide and seek. I believe in America it's called hide and go seek. I mean, so I think you add the go in there. But we used to play this game, and I'll be honest, I am not a fan of hide and go seek. I didn't see the point of it. Uh, we would play as kids, and I always hated being the one that would do the seeking. Because I was just like, oh, this is just the worst. Because you know somebody is in an obvious place, but you just can't find them. And so I didn't want to do it. I just wanted to go out and kick a soccer ball outside, or, you know, go terrorize the neighborhood with my toy guns, or something like that. But, 
But I didn't like, like it. I thought it was pointless. And what I didn't like was the fact that I couldn't get what I wanted straight away. So we would count to 10, 1 to 10, and or as we got older, 1 to 100, and we'd be like, 1, 2, 3, miss a few, 99, 100. And then we would go, and we would try to find someone. And it got to a point where, where if I couldn't find someone, I would get frustrated. Because I have this, I don't know what it is, I don't know if it's uh, I'm anal or what, but if I lose something, I will search and search and search and search until I find it. So I'll give you an example. At home a couple of weeks ago, I lost a screwdriver. I mean, there were other screwdrivers I could have used, but I wanted to use this screwdriver to do like a two-minute job. In the end, I spent an hour and a half searching around the house trying to find the screwdriver because I I don't like to seek for things. But if I know I've lost something, then I will search and search and search. And that's probably why I don't like seeking at all. But you know, when I think of seeking, that's what I'm thinking. But the Bible talks about seeking God or seeking the face of God. And when we talk talk about the seeking the face of God, it is very different to me losing a screwdriver and trying to find a screwdriver. It's very different to playing the game of hide and go seek. You know, we've been discussing over the last four weeks uh, a scripture and it's found in the second book of Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And just to give you the background, if you haven't been with us, but basically the nation of Israel were in desperation. The nation of Israel were going through plagues and famine. And God said to them, he said, if you want me to restore your land, if you want your crops to grow, if you want to be blessed, then there's some things that you need to do. There's a condition. And, and, and God tells king, the king of the time, King Solomon, these things. And these were the things that he said. He says that you must humble yourselves before God. You must pray. And by pray, we discovered last week, it means intercede, mediate on behalf. Try to convince God for your answer to prayer. So, so humble yourselves, pray. Then he says that you must seek God's face and then you must turn from your sin and your wicked ways. And so today we're going to discuss what seeking is all about. A couple of weeks ago we had a door here. And uh, we discussed with this door saying that this is the door between you and God. And the only way to open that door is through the act of humility. And so once you've humbled yourself, then you can come to God and you can start asking God, for things. You can start interceding for things and asking God and petitioning God for the needs that you see around you. But after you pray, that is when you start to seek the face of God. You know, it's a strange and interesting term, I think. The Bible tells us, it says that nobody has ever seen the face of God. Nobody has ever seen the face of God. There was one man who came real close, and his name was Moses. And God came to him, and God turned his back, and he saw the back of God. But the Bible says nobody has ever seen the face of God. So why on earth would God say, seek my face? If no one has ever seen the face of God, then it's probably an impossible task to actually seek and see the face of God. So when I read this, it's kind of interesting. But then I think, I wonder if God has a different meaning to it. I wonder if God, when he's saying, seek my face, it means something different. And I believe it does. And I want to share with with you uh, that with you this morning. 
You know, I believe the best way to find out what God means when God says something in the Bible is often to look at people who God said that those people have the same heart as I do. God said about a man called King David, he said, he has a heart after my own heart. And so David was a man who was very close to God. And David did a lot of things that were wrong in his life. But one thing that David understood what it was to be close to God. Now I want to ask you one question this morning. If there is one goal in life that you have, what is it? What is the one goal that you have in life? If your life was to end right now, and you were to achieve everything that you wanted to achieve, what would be the one goal that you had in life right now? Some of you, you may, may think, well, it may be to like be a millionaire. Others, it may, may that, you know, raise good kids and give them a good education. Others, it's like, I just want to graduate from college. I'm like, I'm done. Some, some others, it may be to get a nice house. Others, it may be to, I don't know, be a movie star, be a pop singer. I don't, I don't know. Whatever your goal is in life. Well, this man, David, he had one goal in life. He achieved far more than any of us will ever achieve. He became the king of his nation. He was the richest man. He had like 300 wives. I don't know why he would want 300 wives, but he had 300 wives. Uh, He had multiple children. He had a nation who adored him, but that wasn't his goal in life. This was his goal in life. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. And verse 4, David said this, he said, the one thing I ask of the Lord, so this is his one prayer, then he says, the one thing I seek most, so my number one goal in life is this, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. This man who had everything, he had one goal in life. And that was to dwell in the house or the presence of God all of his life. And then he says this in, in uh, Psalm 27 verse 8. He said, my heart has heard God say, come and talk with me. Or another translation says, come and seek me. And David said this, and my heart responded, Lord, I am coming. Lord, I am coming. This man, David, who had everything this world could ever offer, his life goal was this, to dwell in the presence of God. He heard the cry of God, come and dwell. And he said, yes, I will come and dwell. This is his one experience, his one one prayer to experience the presence of God. And then let's see what else David said. He said in Psalm 34 and verse 8, he said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. So David is saying now that that's my goal in life, to dwell in the presence of God, to, to seek God's presence. But now he's saying, and when you get there, you need to taste and see because this thing is good. It is good. I mean, you guys can go and have like a big whopping five guys burger and it could be good. But he is saying the presence of God is so much better, so much more. And then he said this in uh, Psalm uh, 16 and verse 11. He said, 
You will show me, Lord, the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence. So there's joy in the presence of God. And then he says, and the pleasures of the li- uh, um, the pleasures of living with you forever. So he's saying there is joy in God's presence and there is pleasure in God's presence. Another translation says that in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy and at God's right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And David is saying here, he says, once you discover the presence of God, you realize that the presence of God is like heaven on earth. And when you start to experience it, it starts to become your goal in life that you want to just dwell in that presence, that you want to experience the presence of God, that, 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 that you want to stay in the presence of God. So that's what David said. I want to introduce you to, to somebody this morning that some of you, you may have never heard about or may have never read in the Bible. His name is a man called Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom lived in the same time as when David was king of Israel. David, uh, Obed-Edom lived in a city called Gath, which was basically a border town between the nation of Israel and the nation of the Philistines. And Gath was like a border town. And this man, Obed-Edom, he lived in this town. And this man, Obed-Edom, he experienced God in such a way that it changes life completely. Let me give you a little backstory. There's something in the Bible called the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God. For those of you who are Indiana Jones fans, then you know like Indiana Jones is always chasing after the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the Ark of the Covenant was this, uh, this structure or this, uh, uh, basically this, uh, this, uh, this box that God told Moses to build. And they built like these figures of these angels called cherubims um, and seraphims. And they said that, and God says, once you build that, he said, then wherever that goes, my presence will be there. The Bible says that God's presence dwelt between the cherubim and the seraphim. And so the, the people of Israel, they would take the ark of God into battle. And when they went into battle, if they knew the ark of God was with them, or if they knew the presence of God was with them, then they knew they were going to win the battle. And so they were taken into battle with them. Well, what happened is that the people of the, uh, the Philistines, or the Philistines, they stole the ark of God. They stole the presence of God. I mean, that's pretty crazy that they did that, but they did. And so Israel was this nation that God was blessing, but they did not have the presence of God. And so David decided, I'm going to go on a mission and go get the ark of God back. I mean, this was like full-on Indiana Jones style. And so David decided that he would go and get the ark. David went to battle against the Philistines, and they got the ark back. And they put the ark on, on this cart, and it was pulled by this ox. And as they were walking through this city called Gath, suddenly the ox, like, bolted, and the ark of God went to fall off the cart. As the ark of God fell off the cart, there was a man called Uzzah who touched the ark, tried to put it back on the ark. And immediately, as soon as he touched it, God struck Uzzah down and killed him. And David suddenly got petrified. And he started realizing that the presence of God was way more powerful than what he could ever imagine. So David decided, 
we can't, we can't, we can't risk anyone else dying. So we're going to leave the ark here, and we're going to go back to Jerusalem and decide what to do. So what they did, they, 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 they pulled the ark into the house of a man called Obed-Edom. And listen to this. This is what happened once the ark of God or the presence of God came into this man's house. In 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And verse 12. It says, David, King David was now afraid of God. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God back into my care or back into Jerusalem? So David did not move the ark into the city of David, which was Jerusalem. Instead, he took the ark into the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of God remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. So three months is there. Now listen. It says here, And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything that he owned. So now the presence of God is now in this man's home, Obed-Edom, for three months. And the result of the presence of God is that God has now blessed Obed-Edom, his entire household, his family, his kids, maybe his servants, and everything that Obed-Edom owned. God blessed them. Remember, David said, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So Obed-Edom was in the presence of God. And he was experiencing those pleasures that are at the right hand of God. Now, David started to see this. And he started to see how Obed-Edom was blessed. And David was like, we need to bring this blessing back to Jerusalem. We need to bring it back into the place where it it belongs. And so David, after three months, asked God. He said, God, what do we need to do to bring this ark back to Jerusalem? Firstly, why did Uzziah, why did he die when he touched touched the, 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 the ark? And God said, only the people who are Levites, only the priests are able to move the ark of God. Nobody else is able to move the ark of God. So God told him, he says, go and get some Levites, go pick up the ark, And bring it back to Jerusalem. And so that's what happened. So David starts to bring back the ark into Jerusalem. And then there's this big procession as he's bringing the ark. Now watch what happens. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So Obed-Edom, he lives in Gath with his family. He's probably got a business. He's got a job. You know, he's settled there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 15. It says this. It says, then the Levites carrying the ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as the Lord had instructed Moses. David also ordered the Levite leaders to appoint a choir of Levites who were singers and musicians to sing joyful songs and to accompany them on harps, lyres, and cymbals. So then the Bible says that David appointed Levites And there's a long list of names, and I'm not even going to attempt to read the long list of names because it's pretty tough. I'd like to see somebody come up here and try to read these names. But anyway, it says says there that they appointed people. So they appointed Levites. And then it says at the very end of verse 18, 
of 1 Chronicles chapter 15. It said, And they appointed the gatekeepers, Obed-Edom and Jael. Obed-Edom and Jael. Obed-Edom had got to a place where God had blessed him so much. The presence of God had been with him. Obed-Edom was like, I'm not letting this thing go out of my sight. Once he experienced the presence of God, Obed-Edom started to go with the ark of God. So that's, first he became a gatekeeper. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 19, it says the musicians, and it says, uh, Heman, Esaph, Eth, um, uh, Ethan, and were chosen to sound the bronze cymbals. And then it goes on with another long list of names uh, of different people. And then it says that there, there, there were ones who were chosen to play the harps. And then there were ones that were chosen to play the lyres. And in verse 21, it says, Obed-Edom was chosen to play a musical instrument for the Lord. So as the ark was going along, they had all these musicians going with the ark of the the Lord. And Obed-Edom, who lives in Gath, who has a family, who has a home, he is now on his way to Jerusalem because he is not letting the ark of God out of his sight. He first volunteers to be a gatekeeper, but then he realizes there's an opening to be a musician so I can be even closer to the ark of God. So now Obed-Edom is even closer to the ark of God. Then in 1 Chronicles 15, verse 24, it says there, it says that there were those who were blowing trumpets as they marched in front of the ark of God. Then Obed-Edom and Jaiah were chosen to guard the ark of God. So now this man Obed-Edom, he is now on this journey and now he's got to the place where he's pushed himself to the front of the crowd and now he is guarding the ark on the journey. This man will not let the presence of God out of his sight. Once you've experienced the presence of God, you do not want to let it out of your sight. Then in 1 Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 4 to 5, it says, David appointed the following Levites to lead the people in worship before the ark of the Lord, to invoke his blessings and to give thanks and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And then it goes into a long list of names of different people. And then it says there, it says that second, uh, there, there were those who were playing cymbals, then second to them was Zechariah, following Jael, then Shemoth, and then Jael, and then Mathathai, and then Elab, Beniah, and then his name once again, Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom, everywhere the ark went, there was Obed-Edom. He was seeking after the ark of God. He was seeking after God. He had experienced the presence of God. And once he experienced the presence of God, he did not want to let the, pre- did not want to let the presence of God out of his sight. And then finally, the Ark of God is now in Jerusalem. Remember this man, Obed-Edom. He's from Gath. He's got a house. He's got a family. He's got possessions. But now the Ark of God is resting in Jerusalem. And in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 37, it says this. David arranged for Asaph, who is the priest, and his fellow Levites to serve regularly before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. They would do sacrifices in front of it and things like that. It says, 
Then this, and then it says, then uh, it says, we will serve regularly before the ark of the Lord's covenant, doing whatever is needed each day. Then it says, this group included Obed Edom. Obed Edom. Now Obed Edom wasn't just on a journey. Now Obed Edom's life was to guard and minister the ark of God, the very presence of God. Obed Edom's life had been totally changed and transformed by the presence of God. As David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Obed Edom had tasted for three months the presence of God. He had seen the joy, the pleasures, and the blessings that followed the presence of God. And now Obed Edom was almost addicted to the presence of God. And wherever the presence of God was, there was Obed Edom. This man understood what it was to seek the face of God. He understood what the presence of God felt like. And there was nothing on this earth that felt like the presence of God. Obed-Edom longed for God. David, his king, also longed for God. There were others in the Bible who longed for God. In, uh, in, in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, it says, As the deer longs or pants or thirsts for the streams of water, so I long for you, O Lord. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before Him? Here, the, the person who wrote this psalm is saying, I long for God. I thirst after the presence of God. Because there is nothing on this earth that is like the presence of God. You know, God told Moses in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 27. He said that if you try to seek me, if you try to seek me and search after me, then this is my promise to you. You will find me. You will find me. And you know, God is not searching in some little cave somewhere, in some cubby hole. God is not searching in a place where it's impossible to find. God is right there in front of us. And if we desire to seek God, then God is there for us to, to experience Him. And when you search for God, when you long for God, when you make it your life's mission to chase after God more and more, then the promises of God is this, that you will find Him and you will experience Him. And when you find Him, then you start to understand that He is the answer to every problem in this life. When you find God, you start to understand He is the answer to life's problems. When you start to find God, you realize there is nothing in this world that even compares to how great God is. So when God told Solomon that if you want to restore my land, if you want me to restore your land, then you must humble yourselves, come to God in humility. He says that you must pray and intercede for your land. But then he says, then you must seek the face of God. You must chase after the presence of God. Why did God tell them to do this? Well, Solomon's generation were very different from David's generation. David's generation knew what it was to seek God. You had people like David and Obed-Edom. And their life's mission was to dwell in the presence of God. Well, a generation later, things are very different. People have forgotten about God. 
They're serving other gods. They're more interested in the things that are going on in their day-to-day life than they are about God. And no longer are they seeking God. People like Obed-Edom had long gone. And so had the desire and the thirst for the presence of God. And I'll be honest with you this morning, as I, as I look out at our communities and I look out at our nation, all I see is a generation that, that knew what it was to seek God and they are passing and they, and they are leaving. And then a generation is coming up and they do not know what it is to seek God. Don't know, even know what the presence of God feels like. You know, as we were walking around on Thursday in the community, the thought came to me, these people don't think they need God because they've been in church, they've experienced religion, they've experienced Christianity, and they thought, this isn't for me. It didn't change my life. But the reality was they never experienced God. They never experienced the presence of God. And if you don't experience God, then this thing called Christianity is just some dead religion. But if you experience God, then this thing called Christianity becomes something that is alive. And it becomes something that, that, is, that is so joyful. And you start to realize that God is the only place that you can be. And sometimes I ask, where are the people who are seeking God? Who are seeking God. So often we can be so, so content with just great services. We can be so content with just serving our community. We can be so content with just coming to church on a Sunday morning, having a time of worship, maybe listening to a word and then going on. But the reality is, is we live in a nation where we need God. And unless we seek God, then God's not going to show up. But if we as a church, or if believers and churches come together and start to seek God, they will find God. Because that's the promise of God. And when you find Him, then you experience His presence. And when you experience the presence of God, you realize that there is a fullness of joy, and that there are pleasures forevermore. So I ask you today, what is your life goal? What is your life goal? And if it's not to dwell in the presence of God, then it's probably for two reasons. Probably you've never experienced the presence of God. The real, awesome presence of God. Or you've forgotten what the presence of God felt like. You've forgotten what that sweet presence of God felt like. And you know, over the last few weeks, I feel God has just awakened me, awakened me, awakened my heart. And I feel as I've given these messages, I feel that God is awakening us as a church to the things of God. And as God is awakening us, this is what I feel. I feel that my desires in life are changing. The things that I, I desire in life, the goals I have for life, they're changing. And this is what I feel at the moment. I feel that my one goal in life is just to see communities transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, where people are just experienced the manifestation of the presence of God, where people are totally changed and transformed by the presence of God. I want a heart like David. 
I want tenacity like, like Obed-Edom to chase after God. And you know, God desires a church that will seek Him. He desires people like David who will worship Him. He desires the Obed-Edoms of this world who will just keep chasing after Him. And just as God promised the Jewish people, if you do this, then I will come and restore your land. As I close today, many years later, 300 odd years later, the nation of Israel were in ruins. They turned away from God and they sought other things. And then a nation called the nation of Babylon had come and they'd gone to war and they had captured Israel and Jerusalem and then they had kidnapped a bunch of people and they took them back to Babylon. And now there was a whole nation that were growing up who were Israelites, but they weren't living in Israel. They were slaves in Babylon. And these people, they were like, God, where have you been? Have you forsaken us? God, what are you doing to us? Why, why are we in this place? We're supposed to be your people. Why are we going through this? And this is what God says to them. Through a man named Jeremiah, a prophet named Jeremiah, he wrote a letter to the people who were there in Babylon. And this is what he said. Jeremiah chapter 20, 29, starting at verse 4, says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to the captives who have... Who has, uh, who have been exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. He said, build homes and plan to stay in Babylon. Plant gardens and eat the fruit that all the food that they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that they will have many grandchildren. Multiply, he says. Do not dwindle away and work for peace. And the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray for the, to the Lord for the city. For its welfare. Its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the fortune tellers who are in your land, the land of Babylon, trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. But this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 more years. But then I will come and do all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me or if you search me or seek me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. You know, God, I believe, is desiring a church that will seek him. And when we seek Him, we will find Him. And I believe that God is desiring a church that will awaken, a people that will awaken to the things of God and chase after the things of God. And when we start to chase after the things of God, then the promises of God become true. And the promises of God are this, that God has plans for you that are good 
and not for your harm. Not for disaster, but for greater things than these. The promises of God are this, that when you pray your prayers, God will hear from heaven. When you seek after God, you will find God. I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know if you're in a place where you've never experienced God. You've experienced church maybe, but you've never experienced God. But God is desiring you to seek him. And when you seek him, you will find him. Maybe you're in a place where you have seen, sought God. You have felt his presence. You know what Obed-Edom was talking about. You know what Obed-Edom felt, the presence, the blessings of the presence of God. But it's been a long, long time since you felt that presence of God. Today is a day where you need to turn back to God and start to seek God with all your might. Others, you know that you've got to humble yourself before God. And then cry out to God uh, in in repentance unto God for the things that you've done. And when you do that, then you will find God and God will come. I don't know where you are today, but all I know is one thing. That we need to make it our life's goal and this church's goal to experience the presence of God. On Friday night, we were meeting just with a a few of the key people in the church. And and this is what I said to them. I said, I desire to get to a place where people walk into Generation Church and then they immediately feel the presence of God. Not that some weird, wacky thing, but they feel the awesome, real, authentic presence of God. And when they feel the presence of God, their lives will be changed. And that's my prayer. That's what I desire for this church, is that we will be a people that will know what it is to feel the presence of God. And where we go places, the presence of God goes, and then others feel the presence of God. Because we don't have the answers, but God does. And when people experience the presence of God, they they experience life change and their lives are transformed. Let's pray.